Radical Women Talk Shit. Amy Cody Coney Barrett, Aquarius, born January 28, 1972, in New Orleans. She's the eldest of seven children, with five sisters and a brother. Her attorney, her father was an attorney for Shell Oil, and her mother was a high school French teacher. She graduated magna cum laude from Rhodes College in Memphis, Tennessee, with a BA in English Lit. She proceeded to Notre Dame to study law on a full scholarship and graduated summa cum laude in 97. So she's a smart cookie. After after law school, uh, Barrett clerked for Judge Silberman of the U.S. Court of Appeals of D.C. And then she clerked for Justice Anton Scalia. So after this, she went on to practice law for Miller, Cassidy, LaRocca, and Lewin. And they are considered one of DC's leading criminal defense firms. And what's notable about this law firm is that it was founded by Herbert J. Miller. Now, Herbert J. Miller was a Justice Department lawyer in the 60s. And Miller is infamous in helping negotiate the unconditional pardon of former President Nixon for his role in the Watergate scandal. Thought that was very interesting to find out. And so going forward, Barrett was appointed by Trump in 2017 and she's a devout Catholic who became wildly popular with the social conservatives in 2012. As she, when she was a professor in Notre Dame, Barrett signed a letter attacking a provision of the ACA that forced insurance companies to offer coverage for contraceptive contraception, a facet of the law later modified for religious institutions. And the letter that Barrett signed stated, quote, the simple fact that the Obama administration is compelling religious people and institutions who are employers to purchase a health insurance contract that provides abortion inducing drugs, contraception and sterilization. This is a grave violation of religious freedom and cannot stand, end quote. Now, during Barrett's uh, Senate confirmation hearing, she, uh, she was challenged by Senator Dianne Feinstein. And Feinstein questioned Barrett about a law review that she co-wrote in 98 with a professor, John H. Garvey, in which she argued that Catholic judges should in some cases recuse themselves from death penalty cases due to their moral objections to the death penalty. The article concluded that the trial judge should recuse themselves instead of entering the order. So basically she is saying that it's okay for her to attack the ACA based on her religious feeling about abortion, inducing drugs and contraception and sterilization 
but then goes on to state that judges should recuse themselves from death penalty cases due to their moral objections to the death penalty. So what happened from 98 to her confirmation hearing in 2017 that would explain that 180 in view, in my opinion? Is is it because, and, and this, this might be just a little bit out there, but hear me out. Is it because she's a baby eating lizard person? Wow, it is possible. We 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 are talking about <laughs> I'm pretty sure that this is just like she doesn't want contraception and abortion because naturally she needs to farm babies to eat because she's a demonic lizard person, right? Right. So, you know, she's a Trump appointee, so anything is possible. That's a, yeah. So during so during her confirmation hearing and she was asked to elaborate on her statements and discuss how she views her faith versus fulfilling the responsibility of a judge today. And Barrett said that she had participated in many death penalty appeals while serving as law clerk to Scalia, stating that, quote, my personal church affiliation or my religious belief would not bear on the discharge of my, of my duties as a judge. And it is never appropriate for a judge to impose that judge's personal convictions, whether they arise from faith or anywhere else on the law, end quote. So naturally, people are concerned that Barrett would not hold up Roe v. Wade given her Catholic beliefs. So Senator Feinstein followed up Barrett's response by saying, quote, the dogma lives loudly within you, and that is a concern, end quote. And that's concerning because Barrett argues that one should recuse themselves of cases that conflict with their beliefs, but when given the same standard for herself as a judge, she can separate her beliefs from any ruling she presides over. And at the same time, she has said legal careers ought not to be seen as a means of gaining satisfaction, prestige, or money, but rather, quote, and this is directly from her, as a means to an end of serving God. Meaning you should seek a legal career in order to serve God. So I, I'm very concerned with this pick, with just this alone. How do you feel about it being a Catholic? Being a Catholic? Yup. I am the world's shittiest Catholic. I haven't <laughs> gone to church since the last time somebody in my family died. I'm that Catholic. I, I'm I'm so Catholic that I I only really like to watch like creepy horror movies about Catholic mythology. Like not <laughs> a level stuff. I'm I'm as Catholic as um, I, I mean, I, when I was a kid, I used to go into church and I used to look at all of like the brass and gold looking candelabras and crosses on the wall and imagine what it would be like to steal all of them and how much money I would make. Oh my God. That is, that's my, as a Catholic answer, as the world's worst Catholic slash doesn't even really believe in God kind of Catholic. Um, that said, um, I think she's doing the right thing. 
No, I'm kidding. Oh my God, it is awful. So this is, this is terrifying. This is, is, it, it just, it just continues to get equally worse. So she's married and she's married to Jesse Barrett, a practicing partner at South Bank Legal. And he used to work as an assistant U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Indiana. They got seven children, two of which are adopted from Haiti. And she is an active member of People of Praise. Now, People of Praise is a group that was founded in 1971 in South Bend, Indiana. And they've got about 1,700 members, which they've blended Catholicism and Protestant Pentecostalism. So Catholics and Protestants are both members. And they've adopted practices like speaking in tongues and communal living, living amongst uh, unmarried members. And in a July uh, 2007 article that they did in their edition of the uh, People of Praise Vine and Branch magazine, the Our Money Ourselves edition, it had included an article about a 17 member group of women described as quote, single for the Lord and living together in South Bend, Indiana. And the women shared a sisterhood budget, which involved them pooling their paychecks while the head of a sisterhood determined how they spent their money. So a former member named Adrian Reamers he described the group as a cult. Yeah, and that's what it sounds like. He showed very he showed grave concern about how the how the life of the people of praise members were his words, not his or her, her own, and how all one's decisions and dealings became the concern of one's head and in turn potentially would be known to leadership. So ultimately, no privacy and all matters of your person is dictated by this head. And the, the people of praise is headed by an all-male board of governors who are, who's described as its highest authority. And looking over the group's own literature, it shows that the organization appears to dominate members' everyday lives, and so which the heads or spiritual advisors make big life decisions and in which members are expected to financially support one another. And married women count their husbands as their heads, and all members are expected to donate 5% of their income to the organization. Now, her affiliation with the group isn't something that Barrett has publicly discussed, but her picture appears in a May 2006 edition of the People of Praise magazine, which documents her participation in a leaders conference for women. Her father and her husband are also members and financial records that were previously submitted to Congress show that Barrett served as a trustee for the Trinity School at Greenlawn, a private Catholic school affiliated with the People of Praise from 2015 to 2017. And in one of their handbooks, it describes the school's commitment to the establishment of, 
quote, Christian relationships that adhere to scripture and Christian tradition. And this is a direct quote from this handbook. It states, we understand marriage to be a legal and committed relationship between a man and a woman and believe that the only proper place for sexual activity is within the bounds of conjugal love. The handbook goes on further to say, emphasizing any sex outside of marriage, whether gay or straight, is not keeping with God's plan for human sexuality. And students who experience same-sex attraction, the handbook states, they ought not to prematurely interpret any emotional experience as identifying identity defining. We believe that such self-identification at a young age can lead students to be labeled solely upon sexuality, generate distraction, create confusion, and prevent students from experiencing true freedom within the culture of the school, the handbook states. So then they catch the gay. Is that they, the, that's basically what they're saying? There you go. There you go. We catch the gay early mm -hmm. and we don't want you to focus on that. We don't want you to make this your identity is how I read that. Right. It's kind of like how I deal with allergies. I know I start sneezing. I know I start wheezing. I know that my eyes start itching. But if I say the word allergies, then it makes it real. It makes, yeah. So, so that's how they're treating being a homosexual. Being homosexual. Exactly. Jeez. Very disturbing. So Barrett has also served as an associate professor at GW Law and Notre Dame. And she continues to teach as she's a sitting judge. And of some of her judicial decisions that I have found extra concerning, of course, is the uh, in 2019, the John Doe versus Purdue University, uh, the court in a unanimous decision written by Barrett reinst reinstated a suit brought by a male Purdue student, John Doe, who had been found guilty of sexual assault by Purdue University which resulted in a one-year suspension, loss of his Navy ROTC scholarship, and expulsion from the ROTC, affecting his ability to pursue his chosen career in the Navy. John Doe alleged that the school's advisory committee on equality or equity, I'm sorry, discriminated against him based on his sex and violated his rights due to due process by not interviewing the alleged victim and by not allowing him to present evidence in his defense, including an erroneous statement that he confessed to some of the alleged assault and appearing to believe the victim instead of the accused without hearing from either party or having even read the investigation report. So the court ruled that John Doe had adequately alleged that the university de deprived him of his occupational liberty without due process in violation of the 14th amendment and it violated his title nine rights by quote, imposing a punishment 
infected by sex bias, end quote, and remanded the district court and remanded the case back to district court for further proceedings. So keep this decision in mind that Barrett is the first and to date the only woman to occupy an Indiana seat on the seventh circuit scary right so she's like hey um like if if a woman has been sexually assaulted dude like you need to she needs to be on the stand or otherwise it's unfair right to the dude and they need to treat it the same way and give it the same weight as a criminal proceeding is what they argued with. Huh. Keep that, wait, wait, wait. Keep that in mind too, because another case that I have a problem with her ruling with is uh, Coronas versus the United States. Now in this one, she dismissed an injured patient's request for compensation because she asked for it in a way an ordinary person would who couldn't afford a lawyer. So here's the backstory on that case. Anna Coronas um, underwent a painful and bruising pap smear at the University of Illinois Health Center. She filed an official complaint to get compensation for $332 in expenses she said she incurred because of the injury. She didn't have a lawyer to help her navigate with what turned out to be a very highly complicated administrative complaint system. When her case reached the seventh court, she had the misfortune of having Amy Coney Barrett on the panel. And in 2019, Barrett wrote an opinion for a divided panel in Coronas versus United States, dismissing her suit for not seeking her compensation at the administrative level the way a lawyer would have rather how an ordinary person unable to afford counsel would have and did. So it's like, wait a minute. So you mean to tell me that you're willing to dismiss this case because they didn't have an attorney, which to me that reeks of classism. I don't know about you. Uh, Yeah. Like attorneys are expensive, but then in, Her other ruling, she's stating that Purdue University didn't follow the same guidelines that one would a criminal proceeding. And in this other case, she's stating that this person isn't entitled to compensation because they don't have a lawyer. I mean, to me, it feels like she kind of flips all over the place. There's not a consistency for me between those two rulings am i crazy no you're not crazy it sounds like for legal reasons she's um she doesn't like poor people <laughs> it sounds like for legal reasons she doesn't support women and then why, like- why use why use title 9 to basically say that it's an infected bias based on sex Really? And the reason for that, that part of that decision was before the uh, John Doe brought his charges or he uh, appealed the decision 
at Purdue University, there was an article that was shared by an organization that does student outreach. And it shared the Washington Post article linking men to sexual assault, not alcohol. So they used that as evidence that the university was biased against men. Wait, 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 wait. Sexual assault. Yes. Because they identified men as committing sexual assault and not alcohol as committing sexual assault? Correct. Even though we know that alcohol is only a tool that's used in sexual assault. Correct. Because obviously the penis is on the man, mm -hmm. right? Unless, yes. do alcohols have penises now? Like, can Apparently you so. You Apparently so. And the way... And the Washington Post article was highlighting the fact that, okay, hey, it's not the alcohol that's out here sexually assaulting people. Guess what? It's men. So they use that as there being a sexual bias against men. So this is the type of person that we're up against in that case. Not only that, she's we, we, we already discussed that she's Catholic. They view their husbands as heads of their households and things like that, where all decisions go through them. She just seems like the type of person that is willing to walk through a door that RBG opened for all women in order to close it. Because I don't see this lady separating her beliefs in order to render fair verdicts and judgments. Uh, what do you uh, think? I mean, no, it sounds like she's a baby-eating lizard person. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, it sounds like 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 the the decisions that she makes aren't in favor of women. Um, and we knew coming in that whoever Trump picked was going to be uh, a risk to Roe and a risk to the ACA. Um, I just, I don't. How did we get here? Mm. How did we get here? Because I talk, okay, go ahead. We talk <laughs> round and round in women world about all types of things, but I feel like the mainstream politics is like almost just a non-conversation. And the thing is, is that what's happening in mainstream politics has bigger implications than it ever has for us right now. Like we we're like emerging from not paying attention. Like it, I feel like ever since Trump was elected, we've all had fatigue, right? Like yeah. we've uh, so many of us, myself included, don't get me wrong. I'm talking exactly about me, probably not you because you're the political junkie, but me, I've been like hiding with my head under a pillow and turning my head when somebody talks about something that Trump says or does until like, like, mm, you know, about, January, February, and then suddenly now, like, paying attention with my eyes wide in horror, like, holy fucking crap. How how on earth did we get here? Yeah. I, look, my personal belief in how we got here is attributed to Fox News and Roger Ailes and Rupert Murdoch. Let's not leave him out of this. And their capitalization of conservative voices and the types of conservative voices I mean are the ones that we're seeing 
protesting the mask orders, the ones that are constantly on about the Second Amendment gun rights, but as soon as a brown person has a gun, it's fair game to shoot him. Those people and them feeling like there wasn't a voice for them to speak. So here comes Fox News to elevate these views all day, every day for the last 20 years. And not only that, they have commingled in public policy making as far back as the Bush administration and selling the Iraq war to people. So I, I feel that has a lot to do with it. I really, really do. And the fact that recently Tucker Carlson, who is, mind you, is like the highest paid over there at Fox, a court, Fox News, their attorneys argue that no reasonable person would take Tucker Carlson seriously. Yeah, and you got people making public policy based off what the fuck comes out of his mouth and the state of affairs of the world, according to Tucker Carlson. And these guys are basic. They're playing. They're playing for fucking money. Tucker Carlson's a goddamn millionaire from spinning this shit. And then it's the rest of us that have to deal with the people that sit and digest that crap all day, every day. And we've all got one in our family or someone close to us. Am I wrong? No, you're, you're right. Absolutely right. Um, there's been definitely some ruined Christmases over people who like Fox news. And that's been going on for a very, very, very long time. And man, propaganda is effective. It is right. an effective tool. And think about it this way. They were the ones that sold this whole controversy about Christians being persecuted. Tell me, where do you see in the United States somebody getting their ass beat for being a Christian? Where is that happening? That is not a thing in the U.S. Oh, my God. So they take the fact that people have different beliefs as an attack on them. That's dangerous. I mean, yeah, it's dangerous, not in that it, 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 I mean, it creates that idea, but it, it creates the larger xenophobia that we're seeing right now. Right. I mean, it creates the larger sort of rejection of anything that's not part of what is perceived as an American identity right. um, or that it's even, you know, when I say American, I also mean pretty much white and and how it's it's unpopular or um, politically incorrect to identify that, to say this is part of whiteness. Um, it's almost like a lot of the the justice conversation like the things that that we've been talking about for years in terms of um racial justice have been like adopted usurped and like turned around by this group of people by propagandizing them yeah agree uh, i mean don't agree. get me wrong i i only have a tenuous grasp on exactly what i'm saying because i am full of shit but i <laughs> what i mean is like you know like i'm i'm I remember that um, wasn't there like a museum? They had like a a, a board. It was at the the, the African American Museum in D.C. Yes, and they had a board talking about what like white culture is, mm -hmm. and it was all like stuff that would be traditionally identified with being an American. 
And like it, it, people found that offensive to say, well, this is, this is whiteness. Well, why are you so offended then snowflake? Wow. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Wow. I, I just, we, we, we know what they mean when they say it and it's a dog whistle and let's not pretend like these aren't the same people, these religious right people that haven't been hacking at public policy since the sixties. These are the same people that were uh, protesting Brown versus uh, board of education. They didn't want integration at all. These are those people. And when being a racist fell out of fashion, they had to rebrand themselves as the pro-life movement. These are the same folks, just the costume has changed. Right, right. They get to hide it behind something else. Mm -hmm. Because before it was the same thing with give me a reason. I have a religious reason to be racist. Seriously, like yeah. I was 20 years old when I heard the uh, the somebody the Mormons interpretation of the curse of Ham. And What's the curse of Ham? Curse of Ham. Think of like the um, Cain and Abel curse, where Cain slew Abel and God cursed him. Yeah, with the mark. Oh, well, okay. that, they interpret that mark being black people. Our black skin is that mark. Oh, ham is oh God, and I please forgive me in flipping in religious teachings, but the way it was explained to me that Ham was one of the brothers that saw Noah naked, and because he saw him naked, he was cursed to be uh the drawer of wood and the drawer of water and the bearer of wood. So that justified us being slaves. Oh, so yes. these are the same people that were using religion in order to discriminate against black people and using this shit to get on the books, to get legislation written. They never went anywhere. They never went anywhere. And this is what's so appalling to me about the whole hiding look. I don't care what religion you have or you don't have, but I'll be damned if it has anything to do with public policy. When it's ruling all of us, you keep your little beliefs to yourself. And to me, her beliefs seem very deeply ingrained in how she views the world. Please tell me, how can you fundamentally separate the fact that, okay, women were supposed to be separated on the basis of sex and all of that stuff to identify all of the horrific shit that has happened to us through the legislative years to get to now where we're looking at a lady that believes that her husband should be in charge of all of those decisions. So explain to me how she would be able to separate those from ruling against another woman that would say unmarried. I, I don't buy it. And it doesn't help that some of her rulings definitely show that sort of duplicitous nature about her. 
saying on one hand to go on the record to say, oh no, my, my religious beliefs will have nothing to do with any of the judicial rulings that I may preside over to signing on to letters directly attacking some of the laws put down to serve all of us. So that's where this is just getting to the scary land. So it seemed as if leftists and progressives were screaming about this place turning into Gilead and hell yeah, this is, they went out and found the real life Serena joy. What more? <laughs> I mean, I mean, think of what do you think about that comparison? Am I being too far off? No, I think it sounds about right. You know, I think because uh, she's the one who was trying. She was like part of the architecture of of how it was built, and then right. she also got smacked down once she wanted to have input after everything changed. Right. So and I wonder if she's going to come to re to to um, regret that, but it'll be far too late if she ever does. Right. And spoiler alert for Handmaid's Tale, the Hulu series and the book. Yes, she is instrumental in the architect of Gilead with Commander Waterford. And when she goes directly to challenge those rules, one of the rules is women cannot read. So she goes before the uh, board of commanders and reads a passage out of the Bible. And uh, her finger gets cut off. And this is after they amended the punishment from having your whole hand cut off for being a woman caught reading. Now, these are the rules that she helped her husband and other commanders enact. And I, uh, that's right. why the comparison just lies so heavily to me. How do we make sure that we're not overreacting i mean do you think that any part of this is like she hasn't even been confirmed yet she's only been announced there's gonna be a lot of pushback um yeah. what 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 do we do now before she gets to make any decisions i and will, i will say this kavanaugh shouldn't have been confirmed betsy devos shouldn't have been confirmed Louis DeJoy shouldn't have been confirmed. So let's just proceed as this lady will be confirmed. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I guess I just, I don't know what to say because um, I, it just means that we're standing to lose everything that we have relied on for a really, really long time. Yeah. And I, I don't want to be hyperbolic in saying, like, she's going to take all of that away. But at the same time, like, with the way that things have been going in the last four years, she's there to take it all the way. Like, there's no being fair. There's no wait and see. It's going to happen. This is the agenda. Yeah. And I just don't know how to react to this. Hmm. I, I know. mean... I always thought that it was just that the, the religious right part of it, like the, the religion was the tool that by getting people to believe this nonsense, you could get people to, to follow and to be ideologically attached to your agenda. Um, because, you know, religions typically 
uh, don't want people being critical. They don't want people who think. Um, and I, I know that that's hyperbolic to say that, but in in for a lot of people, especially you know, in little cults like this, there's no critical examination of what you're of what you're reading and studying. There's only an agenda, um, and because that's how people use it, you know. Um, so I I guess it just I could understand why Trump would want her. I guess I just don't understand why she would want to work for him because he's not religious. He's not a uh, a good Christian in any sense. He's he's almost like the secular asshole. Like he's Look, an asshole without being a religious person. And see, this is where people need to disavow themselves of that right there. That whole oh, why do Christians and evangelicals follow him because he's not the paragon of their Christian religion and what they think. No. They want a wolf king because they want fucking power. They have been dealing, they've been chipping away since the 60s doing this shit. They want somebody that's going to go in there and do what they need done. They could give a fuck that he's an adulterer. They could give a fuck that he's a liar. They could give a fuck of what he is. Just everything about him. Donald Trump is like the worst thing scraped up about this country and somehow made sentient. And this is what we dealing with. They, they don't care. They don't care. He could unhinge his jaw right now and devour a live baby on Fox. They would not care. I mean, that would be pretty impressive. I, well, I know, right? <laughs> um, the unhinging of the jaw. <laughs> and I, I mean, you're absolutely right because we've been seeing, you know, not a, a pushing of a religious agenda from him, but we've been seeing a pushing towards a fascist agenda. We've been seeing pushing towards like almost like a neo-Nazi kind of situation you have, you know, the ads that they tried to put out that Facebook actually banned when they were using the red triangle oh that comes from God. the Holocaust. Yes. You, know, you you have um, a lot of us versus them rhetoric. You have um, the open Nazi that works for him, Stephen Miller. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, you have obviously the, you know, there's obviously been a long resurgence of the Confederate flag, but more now it seems than it has been in a very long time um, from from people who uh, really are just bigoted. Yeah. And it's it, I, I think it comes from fear. I mean, the population is changing a lot of in a lot of ways. People are getting more progressive in, in terms of race and um that I suppose puts the power structure at risk now, doesn't it? It does. And I wonder now the next uh, resistance, now that people are more progressive towards race, when are we going to push back on the being more progressive with the religion? Like we have a separation of church and state for a fucking reason. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I don't understand with, uh, I, I, I don't understand with how is it respecting that all of us have different beliefs on how we should go about our lives and 
what gets us up in the morning, what deity we pray to, what deity we don't pray to, or what have you, why should those decisions that I make individually about what makes me go round and impose that on other people? Like, I, I'm not offended by people going to church every Sunday. I'm not offended by people wanting to pray five times a day as per their religion. None of that stuff bothers me. What does bother me is you making me do it because I don't believe in that it's at all. <laughs> I have to think about it. Have we ever been forced to do that? Except for by our parents, but like on a legal basis? No, not to pray. Uh, Madeline Murray O'Hare. Are you familiar with her? I am not. Madeline Murray O'Hare. She directly challenged the prayer in U.S. schools. And that woman is still demified to this day for it. And her argument was simply, we don't share that belief. She was an atheist. And she didn't believe that her child should be forced to pray after the uh, U.S. Pledge of Allegiance. Mm -hmm. So, and she won that you can't do that anymore. You can't. <laughs> right, right. So I, yeah, I, I would like to see a lot more pushback. And I, I feel like, any pushback we give, they automatically see it as an attack on them. But to me, I feel it's a defense of, look, I don't give a fuck what Sky Daddy you pray to or what, Sky old, Daddy. Or what old book you decide to live your life by. That's great. That's dandy. That's fine. If that gets you up and makes you a taxpaying citizen and feel oh, diddly-okey about it, fine but you're not gonna make me do it no i hear what you're saying but i mean it's still then my damn dog see he's pissed too um but what i'm telling you more i'm trying to wrap my head around all of this because i just took a nap and i didn't have any coffee today and also the world is ending so it's a lot to process but <laughs> But, um, you know, we're talking about power, right? Yes. And we're talking about how, like like you mentioned before, like bigotry just moved to the pro-life movement. Mm -hmm. um, that uh, the same could be said for the religious right. A lot of bigotry hides behind a religious, a religious flag. So yes. is it about belief and wanting to impose belief? I mean, I don't think that it's that common that you have prayer being forced on anybody but what you do have is the use of a religious agenda to support certain decisions to support um or, or or just to to influence politics to have people who use their religion as a, a mode of analysis and then go on um fox news and express those opinions and get other people involved in those opinions because people see through it and they see what it's really about. And I think that that's been going on for a really, really, really long time because right. it's just, it's a vehicle for spreading racism and a vehicle and, and sexism, mind you, uh, both. And then 
and then a, it's a vehicle for spreading both things and then a vehicle for creating change with both of these agendas. Because uh, ultimately it is about power, right? Yes. And, and what we've been seeing since before the 2016 election is me killing my dog. Hang on a second. Me killing my dog. Seymour, <laughs> she's going to get you, man. Okay. So it, it seems to me that all this has come down to almost like cashing in right? You have a lot of these opinions that people have been talking about. It's all been bubbling under the surface. I know a lot of, of, of white people who are not uh, particularly politically active. They have an opinion here or there, but like, and the God stuff, they, like, they don't really go to church. They don't really believe, but they're still on that side. And it's all just been hiding and bumbling, bubbling up, right? Mm -hmm. And now we're starting to see you know, how the candy is getting made because everything's being condensed and twisted down and turned into something solid. And um, it's, it's, it's kind of frightening because I don't think that these people see themselves as being bigoted. No, I don't they think don't. They see themselves as being sexist. And uh, the people in power absolutely know exactly what they're doing. Stephen Miller knows exactly what he's doing. Oh, Even though he doesn't definitely. seem like it, Donald Trump, I think, knows exactly what he's doing because he wants to destroy everything, right? He wants to keep it to working for whatever favors him. That's it. Right. Right. So um, whatever means serves him, him and him alone, that's what he's seeking. So in the process leading up to this, we've been dealing with the issues of social media. You know, we, we've seen... Um, interference in how news is presented on social media. So now social media needs fact checking because people couldn't do their own fact checking or wouldn't do their own fact checking. I mean, I still see boomer memes that share things that are totally unrealistic. And this is what people believe, right? Yeah. And there's that irony to that because it's on the internet. Why the fuck do you believe it? Um, <laughs> and then, you know, what comes with uh, a society that, that is sharing memes all the time is an abs it's a lack of depthful analysis. You know, you see articles now, and this, I don't know, you tell me if you think this is created. You see articles now, they'll tell you if it's a one minute, three minute or eight minute read. Yes. You see, art, you see um, people are sharing memes instead of um, having, you know, thoughtful, depthful conversation. Um, is this is this in part what's fueling that? Is it the issue of 140 characters on Twitter? Yes. Um, yes. Everything needs to be reduced to an image. I need you to say that louder for the cheap seats in the back. Yes, we reduced everything to bumper sticker slogans, the 140 characters, getting it out. So we're talking about very complex, nuanced situations, and we're trying to solve them with bumper sticker slogans. And that's what appeals to people because thinking hurts. Nobody wants to do that shit. And you've got people that are already telling you what you should feel about something. It takes all the legwork out of it. They're it telling does. you you should be mad at this. Oh, shit. I'm going to be fucking mad at that. Somebody tells you you should be scared of that. Well, shit. I'm going to be scared of that. It does. And it and it and that's happening in all schools of politics. That's hap mm -hmm. That happens 
on the right. It happens on on uh, the left. Yes, on the left too. It happens. Um, it happens among feminists when we see things that are reduced down to um, talking points, little uh, sound bites, and little cute vignettes. Right. And, mm. And you know, it's interesting because I watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix, which um, I really suggest everybody watch because it, it, it talks about um, how, you know, things like Facebook create uh, a, an addiction sort of feedback loop and uh, how these things are designed to be addictive, but also designed to be reductive. And I can see that from, from both sides because you have the idea of, you know, sharing sharing the headline and people don't actually read it and we respond to the headline, which we all do, which we all know with intellectually lazy, but we do it anyway. The knee-jerk reaction. Knee-jerk reactioning. And then on the other side of it, you know, I, I'm, again, I'm, I'm an educator and I work in high school and this is where people learn a lot of their critical thinking and advanced analysis skills. And I see how hard it is to teach those skills to people. And I remember way back to my high school days, like I hated every minute of it. And yet at the same time, the ability to analyze multiple sources of information, look for biases, um, put those things together and create a coherent response that makes sense. And then to really be able to think about the big picture, these are hard skills. Yeah. And in, in the years and decades of politicizing education, um, a, a lot of that gets reduced down and reduced down, not on the, on the individual teacher level, but on the policy level, on the state level. Yes, and, yes. you know, we can try as hard as we can to teach those skills, but then we're competing with your horny ass teenager who has their face in their phone all the time because every single kid's got a smartphone and we can't get them to pay any attention to anything for more than 25 seconds because that's what they're conditioned to pay attention to since they've been on Facebook since they were, you know, teens, since they were kids, since they yep. were little. And it's, it's concerning because I feel like it's going to get worse before it gets better because we're, we're, we're drumming critical analysis that way out of people. Oh, definitely. Um, like the, right. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. But just I the thing is I, I think that the one like hope that I have is like the kids, the kids who are just getting out of high school, the 22 year olds and stuff. I mean, I I think that that they're on to us. They're on to what the boomers have been doing. They're on to and they don't give a shit Not about a and regulations. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I love about them. And honestly, that is something that is definitely needed because I say this, it's like, look, I look, I love Michelle Obama. I really do. I admire this lady. But when she says, when they go low, you know, we go high. And it's like, uh, that ain't working. That really isn't because they are legitly holding us to rules and they're not adhering to those rules. Case in point, uh, Mitch McConnell and his complete 180 on, oh, we shouldn't sit a Supreme Court justice, not during a president's lame duck year, to now, oh shit, we need to get this motherfucker pushed in in 45 days or less, who's with me? In the middle of a damn pandemic. Yeah, right. So, I mean, obviously, it's also not about being consistent because the people no. don't 
care if they're consistent. No, ain't nobody said nothing in regards to except reminding us that yes, he did do this 180 within the matter of a few years. And that's about it. There's really no outrage. It's more of, that's why I said they don't care about rules, decorums, religion, principles, integrity, none of that. This is a power grab and they're going for it. Is it, is it fair to have some type of hope when you see things like um, Republican voters against Trump or when you see things like the Lincoln Project? Is it worth it to have hope when you see people who are like, oh, this makes me uncomfortable and I don't, no longer want to identify with this? It, it, it does a bit. And only in the sense of, okay, are they really truly looking at how the conservatives are behaving or are they just, we hate Trump, but everything else applies? You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I would need to know that where they're coming from in regards to that before I could make a judgment on if their presence is good or not. Because to me, they just hate Trump. That's it. It's the but only all thing the they other beliefs stay the same. Stay the same, right. So, so I, I guess I have to wonder, um, is does this bring it back to the whole you know, white supremacist Dixiecrat type of Republican versus just a traditional Republican who is like really a minority now, if they exist at all, a true Republican who is someone who is like a constitutional conservative, supports the protection of the environment. Look, you know, what a, what a true Republican would look like, they would call him a Democrat. That's just... So this Republican Party, as it exists now, is something completely different. This is mm -hmm. some other breed of mutated animal that should have been shot <laughs> at inception, but it wasn't. And we allowed it to grow and fester for the last 20, 30 years. And now we're all wondering, well, what the hell happened? Yeah. No, I sure am because I mean, I'm dumb enough to wonder what the hell happened because I willfully ignored these politics for years and years. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of people have. So we're all pieces of shit. We need to wake up and we need to learn. And I am one of you. I am a moron. And but like, we've allowed people to shrug off major social issues as just politics. Right. Like how right. many people did you hear talk about when the NFL players were taking the knee during the national anthem? How many people in your circle did you hear say, well, I just don't enjoy watching the NFL anymore because it's just gotten too political. Yeah. You mean to tell me that American citizen, your fellow citizens are protesting the fact that they're being shot in the streets and that's too political for you your own countrymen. And that's the problem right there. That's the division. They don't see anyone that doesn't look like them and doesn't think like them as Americans. That is a problem. And nobody wants to say that. It wants to be, we want to cover it up and talk about everything else, but to try to give these people some benefit of the doubt. No. Stop giving them rocks to fucking hide under. Stop giving them a religion rock. Stop giving them a, oh, well, it's just politics. How the rest of your 
countrymen are treated should never be dismissed as just politics. And it makes me angry. It's funny too, because just politics is, I mean, these are decisions that impact our lives and we act like it doesn't have anything to do with us. Thank you. The thing, the thing that doesn't have anything to do with us is like the civil war that's about to happen because it's happening over who gets to control us. Mm -hmm. But it's, it, it doesn't have any, like our, we have let people through our apathy and through our burnout into making these ridiculous decisions and then it just doesn't exist on our Facebook feeds because of the algorithms. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have to worry about it. Or if we have a, our own minor political affiliation, if you have been a feminist, a radical feminist on Facebook, you have seen a minutia of issues of tiny importance and almost no discussion of anything that's really and truly relevant. Mm -hmm. Right? Agreed. And so that's, it's, it's concerning, especially because the conversation about leading to a civil war is a real thing. And the, the thing is, is that the, it's, it's bound to happen regardless of who wins the election, because people are being primed for this mm -hmm. and they're primed for having power over the rest of everybody else when it's, it's, we're talking about power over the people in the country who don't vote, which is the majority of the country that That's doesn't exactly vote. Mm -hmm. So, so if there's ever been a time for women in particular, but for just people to people start paying y'all ass up and vote and start paying attention to your local elections, please Find out who your local representatives are. Pester them. Call them. Send them emails. Send them snail mail. Send them glitter bombs. Send them something. Interact. Because the reason that these folks are able to get footholds in society like this is we've been allowed to shrug off very important life decisions for all of us as just politics. We've made it a dirty word, but these are the rules that we live and play by. These are the game rules, people. How have we been able to just shrug this off? Right. You know, it, it, it's funny too, because you're not supposed to talk about things like politics in polite company and people don't like right. seeing politics across their screen. And that was the issue with the NFL. And I, I, I'm thinking about a lot of the people who I know who, <clears throat> were critical of things like Black Lives Matter protests because they were blocking traffic. And they were like, well, this isn't the right way to protest. And meanwhile, if you have any historical knowledge of, of movements, um, it's the only way to protest for people who are not being seen. For people, when you think of the definition of what an American is, they're not the face that's showing. Um, the, the, the incentive is, the, the need is to be seen. And so of course you're going to block traffic. Um, mm -hmm. And I've blocked traffic and you know what? I, it's, it was nice to see the last time I went to a protest that blocked traffic, that there was only one person who was really complaining and he was some creepy old guy. Oh, Everyone else in the car had their fists out the car window, but I'm lucky enough to be in New York where that's likely to happen. Uh, um, but like- You have to disrupt people being, right. yeah. Disrupt right. you, people so they can pay attention. Right, like if, if, if it's, if people, 
aren't getting the attention just from talking to each other. You have to find it some other way. And, you know, you, when I think about like things like ignorance, like racial ignorance, which is behind a lot of this, you know, we're talking about towns and towns and towns of people who have never seen a person of color or if they have, they've like, they've like threatened them or been threatened by them and never just having that conversation with that person and seeing, being open to a different perspective. Um, I think that, that especially in politics right now is really a big deal because everybody just shuts people who disagree down. Yeah. And so and we're able to have discussions. And that's the problem because look, we, we were just talking about the, uh, the Facebook algorithm and how it just tailors it to your bubble, to your point of view. And it does it very well to keep you in your bubble, which is why you need to read outside your bubble. You need to watch things outside your bubble, things that make you feel uncomfortable. You must watch them. People that you say, oh, well, that's uncomfortable. Find out why. Instead of having somebody tell you what you should be feeling, because that should make you nervous. When somebody is telling you what to feel about something, you should be scared. Your spidey senses should be tingling and you should be wondering when whatever's about to happen is going to happen. So one rule number one right there. So any information that is presented to you and it is being and they're telling you how to feel, run. Be skeptical of whatever they're whatever else they're about to say. Mm -hmm. I guess it comes back down to talking about radical consciousness and people need to sit in rooms together and talk about their experiences and what they have in common. And it needs to be people from all different walks of life. Uh, but the thing is, I just, I don't see that happening before no. everything crashes and burns and we no. start to figure out that we're all people again. Yeah. Cause it's too much people. It's it, the, the dopamine hit. Like think, okay, think, let's go back to the social media algorithm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we know that they work with the same slot machine, slot machine gambling algorithms to keep mm -hmm. us on the platform, to keep us clicking, to keep bringing us back. So are, are we look for that? And mm -hmm. I, I, I feel that that plays a, a heavy part in it as well. Yeah. That it keeps no, because it's on there, just kind of giving you that soothing, you know, everything is going to be all right. Case in point with the Fox News and how it is 24-7 telling this conservative sect of people that everything is because of those brown people. The reason why you're not prosperous is because they keep coming over here and taking your jobs and getting on benefits and uh, they're going to destroy your country and run off with your wife and daughters, that sort of shit. And the irony is, is that none of that is a real thing because all of the money is being sucked up to the top with a giant. At, oh, oh, my God. Well, what fucking country are these people bragging about? America is a third world country with a Gucci belt. OK, <laughs> I just we sitting here fronting seriously, because if we really had it lit like that, we wouldn't give a hot fucking damn how much it costs to. Help, give health insurance to our citizens. We wouldn't care. 
Well, if it, we really had it lit like that, what's money? The thing is, mm -hmm. we're not lit like that. The no. wealthy are lit like that. Mm. And the wealthy get to make money off of us needing insurance, needing to pay through the nose for insurance. I mean, have you ever seen the prices for something like, like Cobra when you lose your, your insurance yes, job? It and it's six hundred dollars a month for obscene. a plan that only covers, you know, my vag visit and my my physical. Like obscene. And that, that was all it cost. Like it was all that covered. I had a five thousand dollar deductible I said to pay six hundred dollars a month just to be covered for that. I should have just gone to the free clinic. Yeah, right. Which is what I ended up doing when I was poor and I didn't have a job and I didn't have insurance. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. And so now we're staring down the barrel of this ACB gun, which, by the way, I hate that we're already calling her ACB. And I hate that there's already. Yeah, no, you call her by her whole name. I saw that Amy picture, Tony too. Don't Barrett. even say it. Don't say it because I saw I, that picture, too. Pathetic. Notorious and if you don't know what ACB. I'm talking about, message me. Mm. Pathetic. It was, oh my God, I was like, y'all, they ain't got no sense of cool. They ain't got no home training. They just, damn. Damn, no. damn. No. But the thing is, is it's when, when we're caught in our little echo chambers and we're getting our little dopamine fixes, we're getting it from the likes. And for those of us who are involved in our little radical politic bubbles, you know, it comes from making the smart snarky comment. It comes from having the hot take that nobody's thought of before. It comes from having your posts reshared or being retweeted. And it's those little things that encourage us even if we're saying something that's smart and good, it doesn't mean that we're necessarily stepping outside of our own bubbles. And that's definitely an issue among radical women. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, we, we, even just among ourselves in the movement, we villainize and demonize women who have differing political opinions, or we villainize and demonize women who are too liberal for our tastes. And we call them lib femmes and handmaidens. Um, and then, you know, obviously we all know that there's been this shift happening in radical feminism to the right wing. Mm -hmm. And through all of that is, is- That we're supposed to pretend that we don't see happening. Right, like it's not happening, but obviously mm -hmm. um, we, we're seeing, um, you know, a solidification of our needs, our, um, movements down into sound bites to the point where radical feminism became almost like a single issue movement. Yes. And it was all about gender. It's all a single it. issue movement all about gender. And now we can see in the UK where everything literally comes down to a handful of sound bites. Trans women are men, go worship dick, that kind of right. thing. Um, and all the little funny sayings that you could use with turf. I've seen right. that too. Men aren't women, or you know, women need segregated uh, sex segregated spaces, and these are these are all reduced down. So so we don't actually have to talk about the more complex issue of how do we make sure that everybody has their rights, and that those rights simply just don't take from women. The right. the sheer existence of trans people doesn't take 
necessarily everything from women as a class, but we've been reduced down to their enemy and we're the good people and, and we're going to make sure that those people don't exist anymore. Right. And, and I, not, that is not why I got into that discussion. Nope. Nope. Mine is simply a defense mechanism because I don't believe in the attacking of women for simply stating biological sex is real. Right. And that's, that's the conversation we need to have because on the other side, we have that complex conversation being reduced down to trans women are women or being reduced down to you're a turf if you're doing this or if you believe this this is this is turfy or jk rowling and so it's happening on on that end of the discussion too but yeah. we need to have this conversation and we need to be open to the nuances around it because they're we're not the the most of us who are in this conversation we're not trying to say hey you're not people and I don't think that the most of them who have been angry at us were necessarily angry at those of us who had nuanced opinions. I think that they were getting tired of those right-wing infiltrators who have been like, oh, you know, I hate these people and they shouldn't have babies, mm -hmm. you know, because we're thinking, you know, we, we're getting mad that they have that or that they're spreading these conversations about like, oh, radical feminists don't consider us people. They want us all dead. They want us all hurt. And then we're like, no, that's not what we're saying. But yeah, there's a bunch of women who are kind of saying that. And then now we want to talk about this right wing infiltration in Rad Femmes now, because that conversation could have been stamped out had that not happened. Right. So I believe you are absolutely correct. Because by rallying everybody behind this one issue on which all of these women could conceivably agree, even though I think when we get down to brass knuckles, it, we don't agree on, uh, on our criticism of gender. But um, it's, it's just a means of getting everybody riled up and not talking about anything else that's of importance to right. the point where I've gotten sick of it. Yes. Like I burned out from that conversation. I couldn't be involved in that anymore. Right. Same here. And it's like, look, we're not, it's not a single issue and we can't. And I think that has suffered on a national scale too, because we've turned Trump hating Trump into a single political issue. It lumps all of our shit into just one and that's not no 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 we can't just rally around hating this guy but we have to because we see the damage that he's doing right and but this is going to take years to repair let me tell you if we can because i'm not even sure even as we are sitting here recording this i'm not even sure if there's going to be anything to save if the momentum behind them is just gone so far over that they fuck it they just gonna do whatever the hell they want i mean i've been in the doom and gloom mode for a while now i've been considering purchasing my first rifle i've been um worrying about what it's gonna look like with armed militias going down the streets oh yeah um, i'm wondering Right. I'm wondering whose side the military is going to be on, because we all know that the paramilitarized police are going to be on the other side and um, wondering what on earth is going to happen, where the war zones are going to be, because th these people seem intent on making this happen. Yes. And yes. um 
and it's it's scary, then you know we're not talking about this and how this impacts us as women as a uh, impacts women as a class to have this political battle over who gets to use and abuse our labor. Mm-hmm. And um, I honestly think that I don't think there's going to be repair. I think it's going to be rebuilt. Let me just say this out loud. I don't do cardio. So if the war comes to uh, to yeah. New York City slash Long Island, I am fucked. Yeah, because that's kind of like rule can. number one of any sort of revolution, and that is cardio. <laughs> that is <laughs> cardio. the zombie apocalypse. The, right? the zombie apocalypse. I almost it said applies. zombie apocalypse. <laughs> It's kind of what it is, right? Zombie politics. We're all fucking zombies. Well, shit is happening around us. I am just as bad. Exactly. So, yes, this is why this episode is focused on the apocalypse. Yeah. (laughs) Because, I mean, but what is this realistically going to look like? And what do we women as a class need to do in order to contend with this and to survive? Right. I, yeah. And, and it's getting that together because at this point, everything just seems so scrambled up to me. So let's talk about something that we have done at least. All right. We have made a decision to not have any echo chambers, at least in our spaces, right? We have full permission amongst each other in this podcast and then in our groups to be wrong and to be self-effacing and to reflect on that and to grow from that. Um, we're not, uh, we're making sure that our group, uh, a group that we've had for several years that is now called Radical Women Talk Shit um, is going to become a space where we can talk about literally everything but the the tiny little niche issues that shouldn't be taking up 99% of our attention. Mm. Um and at I my personal goal, and I, I hope you'll get on board with me is this with this, is I want to bring radical consciousness raising back to women. I want, oh, to, want us to get into rooms and talk to each other and communicate with each other because we need to have that solidarity before before Gilead happens. Oh, definitely. And as I was saying earlier as well, that we 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 need to talk to each other. So that definitely works with what I have envisioned. And also we are bombarded with so many influences of people telling us what to feel and how we should be thinking instead of doing these things for ourselves. And we need to get back into that uh, taking the hard step of really examining uncomfortable issues and things that we need to work on as a country and as a society. If we want to see any of this survive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think some of that needs to be about um, dumping some of our own identity kind of uh, politic issues. I think we we end up in our spaces shitting on each other for who is or is not rad femme enough, or you need to go back to 101, or mm. this is not a radical opinion, or you're not a radical person. Um, I don't believe, I think that we need to divorce the idea 
ourselves from the idea that radical feminism is an identity first and an analysis tool second. I think it needs to be an analysis tool first and one that can work most of the time, but maybe not all of the time. Um, I also think that when we look at things and we, we, we criticize, you know, liberal type feminists for being more individually focused, um, I think that there's times that we need to look at both the individual and the class interest. Um, right. And I think that, um, that this can only happen if we talk to each other and we stop demonizing each other. And we know that the other side is doing it. They're like, you're no real feminist. We know that this happens even in mainstream politics. Trump, one of Trump's favorite things to say is that someone is a rhino, that they're not oh. a real Republican. And, but we need to leave behind these, these group sort of identities and start to figure out what we really stand for Right. And that we're not representing being a Republican or being a Democrat or being a radical feminist or being, uh, you know, whatever sort of identity we're behind and really just explore the issues as a person. Agreed. And then collectively share our testimony and get underneath that again. Oh, yes, definitely. Because that's where that it came from 50 years ago. Music to my ears. <laughs> <laughs> October 11th, we're going to be bringing you a special recording. Kat and I are going to explore some of the issues around police abolition and some of the stuff that we found in the quest to abolish the police. Before we present our findings to you, we'd like to get some of your questions, thoughts, concerns around police abolition. Leave your comments and concerns and we will get into the topic of police abolition. See you then. All right, so you just heard the commercial. We have our discussion coming up about police abolition. We think it's important for us as women to examine this issue. We think all politics are women's politics, and we're going to start here. October 11th is when we're recording. We want to hear your questions. We want to hear your responses. Your thoughts, your concerns about it. What is it? Everything. No question is a stupid question. We want to hear everything. What are your thoughts? So thank you for listening to the doom and gloom episode. Um, read a newspaper, watch Fox News, even though we feel like it's the devil because it's time we start paying attention to what's happening. Amen. Get Me out there, people. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye. 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 Music by Technoax. Funky music by Zapsplat. Z-A-P-Splat.com Except for the Star Wars music, that is from YouTube, but really John Williams.